Hello, I'm Taj, digitally known as Tropic Vibes, the host of Nifty Business, where we highlight NFTs and explore Web 3.0 as we move from pure speculation to creating real-world value. So every day is always eventful in the world of NFTs. However, yesterday was one of the most eventful for me. It started off by me entering into OpenSea and seeing that a project that I collect, someone actually posted one of the NFTs at half the floor price. So immediately I have to scramble and I have to go and I purchase this right away. Like most people in the space, I'm not someone who just has a massive bankroll of all this ETH just sitting around. However, I just knew immediately it was positive because it's half of the floor price. And I looked to see what the person actually purchased it for about three months earlier. And this person ends up reselling it for the price that was just barely over what they purchased it for about three months earlier. So I said, okay, everything seems legit. This is not someone selling a fake version, whatever it is, everything checked out. And this person just wanted a quick flip for whatever reason, move out, maybe get into another project. There was a mint going on that day. So who knows, maybe that's what it was for. So I get it very quickly. And I said to myself, I did have a a budgeted out for a mint that I wanted. However, I just know if I put this back at the floor, I'll be able to get a little bit more budget, a little bit more wiggle room. So on paper, all of this sounds good. However, later that afternoon, I go into the Discord to see what's going on in the community, and I see someone say, do not post anything on OpenSea for sales. The smart contract has been compromised. So just like many people in the NFT space, I started to panic at this point, trying to figure out what was going on. And that's what today's episode is going to be about. Exactly what all the commotion was yesterday evening as far as what happened on OpenSea and why the community was just besides themselves. The news broke that the smart contract was compromised because OpenSea is doing this transition from their version one of their smart contract to a version two. And if you've seen the the announcements that have come out saying that you can transfer over, automatically migrate over to the new contract and all these different things, a lot of people speculated that somehow someone compromised the code and was able to get into the back end of OpenSea's. And as a result, a lot of people were losing their NFTs, losing their ETH and all sorts of things. People are watching on ETHScan and Seeing all the transactions that were happening aboard apes and all these expensive NFTs were being stolen out of wallets and ETH was moving back and forth. I'm hearing crazy numbers such as over $50 million worth of NFTs were stolen in the last few hours and all sorts of craziness. So needless to say, the community is in absolute panic. Now, when it comes to the Open Seas contract and everyone saying this is the death of Open Seas, their contract was compromised. This huge behemoth of a company is now going under. There is no recovering from this. This is why it's good not to act out of panic and just automatically react and just do things hastily because in in that sense also, there's a lot of room for error and that's when mistakes are made and people do all sorts of things that ends up costing them more in the long run. However, by the time all the news start to settle and what came out that this was actually a part of a phishing scam. And when I say phishing scam, I don't mean phishing with an F, phishing as in PH. And usually this is done in the terms of fake websites or fake email links and what have you. But in this case, it came out that somehow there was a compromise in whether it be email or whatever, but 32 specific wallets, 32 specific holders that had some very expensive collections were the target of this scandal. And it just so happened that the attack takes place during this whole migration thing. And I guess it was to cause a little bit more confusion. And here's the crazy thing, though. Some of the things were stolen, but some of the things were returned. So there was a lot of uh, speculation as to what's going on. Where is all this stuff going? Is this some sort of Robin Hood crook? Because some of the bored apes were actually paid for with 50 ETH and all sorts of crazy things were going on. Granted, these bored apes were uh, worth a lot more, but 
it's like, why is this quote unquote thief supposedly paying for the things that he or she is stealing? And it was just really weird. It was a really weird space. We didn't know exactly what was going on. And at this time, people were advising you to disconnect your wallets and uh, revoke permissions and all these different things. And literally, people such as myself, we didn't know what to go. We knew, at least I knew, that I didn't have bored apes and uh, millions of dollars in my wallet. But to me, relative to my income and my investment that I made into this space, I knew that I did not want to lose those things. And it was a big deal to me. So a lot of people were saying, it only matters if you have expensive NFTs. And expensive is relative because $100 to one person might be a million dollars to another. So depending on the size of your collection and how much it actually took for you to make that investment to come into the space, hearing that while only expensive NFTs are at risk doesn't really settle anyone. But going back to the whole thing, the CEO of OpenSeas, Devin Finzer actually started to uh, make a series of tweets just really explaining that this whole thing was a phishing scandal. And what, for whatever reason, that it was it seems to be some sort of email link and whoever was targeted in this thing, it was their wallets that were compromised. The code, the back end of OpenSeas, everything, the migration, all of that process is intact and it wasn't some sort of uh, security breach on their end. And they're working to really figure out exactly what is going on. So at this point, we started to calm down as a community and we started to hold... Uh, different spaces, the Discord boards, uh, server started to calm down and people were just trying to figure out, okay, what can we do to protect ourselves? What can we do going forward? And really how much of this is to blame on OpenSea? Because in the end, uh, apparently as it seems right now, it was human error on the part of the wallet holders that they exposed themselves to this phishing scandal. And of course, anytime someone has a, a phishing scandal as far as they click a link or whatever it might be, they always say, no, I never opened a suspicious email. I never went to any unscrupulous websites or whatever it be. But a lot of the times is uh, we're clicking through so many things. We're going to different places and we're doing all sorts of different things that we don't even know. And these uh, scam itself, the actual collection of the data and everything could have taken place months or weeks ago. Who knows exactly? And it just so happens that all of this stuff had to be executed at the same time during this weekend when a lot of people were migrating to the new contract and everything. However, I can definitely say, although it seems like OpenSea has escaped the blame in this case, I will say one area where they should do something a little bit more to protect their consumers, and that is as far as the emails that they send out. OpenSea sends out emails with links in it. And even to go over to switch to this new contract and what have you, there was a link in that. And it's training their consumers to click links about NFTs and emails. And I think that is a very dangerous thing. Because even if you purchased an NFT or if you sell an NFT on OpenSea, they send you an email over to your account and there's a link going to that transaction or to that particular NFT. And I think that is just making it automatic to click links about NFTs into their consumer base's emails. Like it's just putting it into their psyche, into their habits. And I think that is a very dangerous thing. And I think OpenSea really needs to stop doing that. I don't think they should have any kind of links in any of their emails. The correspondences should not encourage their community to click links. But Again, this is not all on open seas. There's things that we can do as individuals to also protect ourselves. And in this whole Web3 space, that's one of the things is a lot of the blame actually falls on us. It is our responsibility to keep our private keys. It is our responsibility to protect our wallets and so forth. So although a lot of people would love to blame OpenSea and says it is all their fault, 
as it is seems right now, a phishing scandal, some sort of scam had to do with some sort of links that were clicked. And some people are even saying that it is uh, from official OpenSea emails. However, that is up for debate as to whether they were official OpenSea emails or just emails that were designed to, uh, to seem like they're coming from OpenSea. But again, the reason why I say OpenSea needs to do a better job is because if they hadn't trained their consumers for so long into expecting to receive emails with links in them, this couldn't even been an area of attack. So that is the area where I put blame on them. But as individuals, the different things that we can definitely do to protect ourselves going forward is to, uh, number one, definitely separate how we do our transactions and where we do our crypto uh, transactions, if you will, because uh, if you have the the funds and the ability to have a separate machine, which I know most people don't, and even I actually have a laptop that I do different things from, and also uh, my iPhone is where I do my transactions from. I never do for my Android. I actually have an Android. However... Generally speaking, if you can keep them on separate devices, just one device specifically for your crypto activity, then that is the safest bet. But if you're in a position where, well, you can't have separate computers and you necessarily can't have separate devices for everything, at the very least is using separate browsers. For example, on my laptop, which I only have one real functioning laptop, my my secondary laptop, I usually leave at work and it's not functional, but Generally speaking, I have all my crypto stuff in my Brave browser, and the only thing I use it for is for uh, the exchanges, OpenSeas, MetaMask, and like the various wallets that are in there, and nothing else. I don't browse on the web. I do not Google. I do not go on any social media or email or anything from that browser. Literally, it's just for transacting my crypto, and then everything else I do in Edge. However, there's uh, different people that suggest that if you're using Chrome or whatever it might be, just having a different Chrome profile in that browser. You could also do that to separate, okay, your crypto under one profile and then everything else under another profile. But I just know myself personally, I need a separate browser to actually go. When I see that orange lion, I know, okay, this is crypto. When I see the blue swirl, I know this is everything else. So I personally prefer to have it in a completely different browser. Now, there are people that will say, that's not even enough. They need it on a completely different machine. And I know that is the next step up. And if you have the budget, I would recommend that. Even just having a a cheap laptop or something that you know you're not going to do anything else except for your crypto stuff on that one little laptop. Some people say they even use a Chromebook. However, I've never done that personally. But I just know that Chromebooks are pretty minimal in functionality, but it's really a browser and that's all you need and it can get the job done. So it should work. Secondarily, we should not click links in emails. A lot of the times that we say that only click links from the people that you know. However, I'll just give you an example. Our mothers or our parents might send us emails with photos and all sorts of different things, and we just click it thinking, okay, great. However, odds are they aren't familiar with the security levels and all the things that needs to be done to protect your crypto and protecting all of your assets. So they're very vulnerable in itself. So clicking links from them is probably actually the most dangerous because they're not taking the same level of precautions and safety that you are. So when you receive them, say, okay, yeah, this is mom. This is a trusting person. And she's not going to send me a link about uh, crypto or something else. Keep in mind that your mother is not taking those same security uh, measures, excuse me, to protect your crypto. So that might be the most dangerous link that you'll ever click. But just generally speaking, any kind of email that you get, whether it be from PayPal, your 
banking account or uh, your exchange, whatever it might be, it is always best to go to a browser, type in that link, just go to that website, log into your account there, and just don't click on that automatic email. Because I know even all the time I receive fraudulent Amazon, your order has shipped, and uh, click this. And I just know that it is not my order. It, it is, first of all, it's usually a different email that my Amazon stuff would go to than the one that it would be. So that alone is a red flag. But also, I just know when I order things and I can look on the app and I just know that this is definitely not a real account. So anytime those emails come in, a lot of people are just trained to, all right, let me see where my package is and click it. And that could be a dangerous thing. So just do not do that. If you get an email from any of those things, just go to the official website, log into your account. And forming that habit as even though you might see the exact link, what it will be, still go to the browser and type it in. It's better safe than sorry. Another thing is when you're actually doing uh, uh, different transactions, you're getting ready to sign in your wallet, is to just not have a million browsers open because you might have different tabs, different transactions. So when you're clicking sign, you want to always make sure that this is the only thing that is open when I'm signing. This is definitely what I'm signing. And you're not signing some other blanket permission for something else, which is actually what seems to have happened in this case. This phishing thing actually got people to sign various transactions that gave basically unlimited permission for certain assets. And then it could be executed at a later date. And in this case, this specific weekend when it went wrong at the same time for those 32 people or ho however many it really was, but the last count I heard was 32. So this can be something that can be executed for whatever reason, these permissions do not expire. It's not like a just a, a 30 minute expiration or this is a one day thing or which is very strange because even our emails and our Google accounts and all these different things do have uh, times when they log us out. However, these crypto transactions can basically have an unlimited pass if you sign it and you open it up for it. So that is a topic in itself. And that's really on the side of uh, the providers, whether it be the wallets or the, the various people that are building these codes and what have you to put those uh, protections in. But what we can do is just understand that we should not be clicking things that just pop up because even I am guilty of it when I go to a website and the cookies notification pops up and we just click OK because we're so trained to know that, OK, you go to a website, they have to let you know that they're storing cookies and all this information, it's just an automatic reflex to click. And the same thing happens with these transactions. We know when we go into OpenSea, when we go to list something, we go to make an offer, all these different things, the thing is going to pop up when we just click OK. So training ourselves in that direction can be a very dangerous thing, but to just fully understand that, OK, everything that we click, everything that we're signing, and everything that we're transacting with, we should be looking over it and reading it. And one idea that I thought was very great, and I think MetaMask especially should do this, but this is something, again, it's out of our hands, but until this happens, we just have to read, is... There is a difference between logging into something, such as logging into the website, connecting to the website, and transacting, right? So when it comes to signing a transaction, the whole browser, that window, that tab should be like a red color or something that really just pops out. So automatically, we know that this is not just connecting to a website or connecting to a database. This is actually giving something permission to transact. And that is something that OpenSeas really need to do. But until then, we need to pay attention to what we're signing. Also, 
what we can also do in our uh, powers is mitigating where we put all of our assets. If we put our, all of our risk, I should say, putting all of our assets into one wallet, all of our crypto, all of our NFTs, everything at one failure point is very dangerous. So having that secondary wallet, even if it is another MetaMask, that is a hot wallet that's always connected, not the most safe and secure. However, having two MetaMasks is a lot better than having just everything in one place. So transferring certain things out, you have, let's say, whether it be for minting or small transactions and then your cryptos in a different place, that is very important so that everything, uh, God forbid that your account is compromised, that everything is not taken all at once. But the best solution, which is something that I really should be investing in. So at this time, I'm preaching to the choir and is telling myself, yes, I need to get a cold wallet myself because the more I invest into this space, the more NFTs that I do end up having, it is just almost reckless. It's negligent to not spend the let's say $100 or whatever it might be for the various different wallets when you're talking about thousands of dollars worth of assets. So it's, it's just like insurance. Nobody really thinks about the insurance and the benefit of paying those premiums until something goes wrong. So it's the same thing, just having that cold wallet, making that minor investment upfront compared to everything that you could potentially lose. It's just well worth it. And speaking of that, there was a thing going around also with as far as how to revoke the permissions from your wallet itself. And the two sources, which even this, the fact that we have to go through all of these steps to revoke permissions, blanket permissions, various assets in our wallet just shows that this space is really in its infancy and uh, there's a lot of growing to do. But going to Etherscan or revoke that cash to pull away all of the uh, connections with your wallet is something that we really shouldn't have to do, but that is what we're doing at this point. To take away all those blanket permissions, which basically was an open gate for this malicious attack to be able to take out assets because the, the contract, if you will, was basically partially signed. So once the execution was made for this to go through, it was actually not something like it was hacked into. It was already signed possibly weeks or months prior. Now all they had to do was execute it. This is something that you can actually do. You can look to see what is attached, what has permission to take assets, what has an unlimited, if you will, uh, gateway to it. Revoke.cash and Etherscan allows you to remove those permissions and it really stops that from happening because during this whole thing a lot of people are saying just disconnect from open seas and uh, close out anything in your wallet that your uh, metamask is connected to however unfortunately that was wrong information in most places because that does not protect your asset what ends up happening is as I've explained earlier, that there is that connection, which basically allows that particular website or uh, app or DAP, whatever you want to say, to just basically see what's in that wallet. Because it's just saying, okay, this is the wallet, and it can c communicate with it and view, pull that information. It's a one-way feed, and that's very different than a transaction authorizing things to go back and forth. So when you go to MetaMask and you just disconnect from all those sites, all it is technically doing, removing that ability for it to see what's in your wallet. So when you go to that site, when you actually have to make a, con uh, a transaction, you're still going to actually have to sign something. So in that case, when you just disconnect, well, if you've already signed something, it doesn't make a difference. You disconnect from it being able to actively see in there right now, but the transaction was already signed. So that is why you have to go to Ether scan or revoke that cash to remove those permissions. And a lot of people were saying they're not going to do that because it's going to cost at that time about eight to nine dollars in gas. And here's the thing. 
if you have thousands of dollars worth of NFTs, paying that $9 in order to remove those permissions is really negligent at that point. Because no, no one really wants to pay any more gas fees than we have to pay. We don't want to pay gas fees, period. However, when you're talking about paying $9 to protect thousands of dollars of assets, I think that's the very least that you can do. So I had no problem just disconnecting everything and overreacting, if you will, because all the news wasn't out yet. But I just said, you know what? There is no way I'm putting this stuff up to risk because I can't afford to lose it. So paying that $9 and a lot of people are saying, no, I'm not going to do it. So I'm just going to take my chances because it seems like they're only going after expensive things. Now, thank God that was the case. It wasn't this widespread attack to everybody. However, just thinking about it, it's wow. That is such short-sighted thinking that you're willing to pay hundreds of dollars to buy these NFTs or thousands of dollars. And the gas fee uh, during those times, especially if you're in sort of gas war or whatever it might be, was so much higher, but you're not willing to pay the $9 to protect it now. I don't understand that. However, whatever. That was their case. But I would just say in these cases, using all these things to protect yourself and going forward and understanding that there is a difference between connecting to an account, allowing something to see what's in your wallet and actually signing a transaction, those are two very different things. And unfortunately, when you sign a transaction, depending what it is, it could be a blanket unlimited transaction. And a lot of times people aren't even familiar with that. And the browsers and these wallets and everything are not doing a very good job of explaining that this is what that is. So Hopefully that wasn't too much to you and that wasn't like, you know, setting this whole thing in panic mode. All I could say is everything seems to be okay. Our NFTs, our wallets are not compromised unless you were one of those 32 and who knows what's going to come out of this. And I still am just fascinated by the fact that this thief, for whatever reason, was giving back some of the NFTs and paying for them, which is just really mind boggling to me. But I'm pretty sure that more will come out of that and should be interesting development in the next few days. But until then, keep yourself safe, keep your assets and your things as secure as possible do your best and not just cut corners for a dollar here or two dollars there just looking at the bigger picture and understanding that this stuff is valuable and the more valuable something is the more likely someone is going to try to take it so taping those uh, little extra steps of precaution and protecting your assets is a huge thing so hopefully you found this interesting and i would love to know what kind of feedback you have for me. So whatever app that you're listening to this in, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever, if there is the ability to leave reviews, give feedback, I would really appreciate it. And as usual, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next one. Later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice. It provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.